title of today's message is Vantage Point. Vantage Point. There was an old movie. It's been years and years ago that Melody and I watched called Vantage Point. Dennis Quaid. I don't know if it's really good. There may be some bad stuff. I don't know. But if it's really bad, I told the first service, I said Melody suggested it. But if it's really good, I'm suggesting it. But uh, I just remember it's Vantage Point. It had different Vantage Points. There was a crime done. It was different people who saw different Vantage Points. And so it gave me the idea. I actually got that idea, this title, this message. It's Vantage Point. How you see God. Do you see God at a good vantage point, because to be honest with you, the church in general does not see God from the best vantage point, but we need to look through the eyes of Jesus because Jesus is the greatest vantage point to how he saw his father. That's the way that we need to see our father because I've been saying this for several weeks. And that is that we all have wrong thoughts, wrong perspectives, and uh, about how we seek God how we see God. And so we need to change that. And uh, I'm still in the process of changing that, but uh, in my own life. But in John 8, 32, it says this, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. The Passion Translation says, for if you embrace the truth, it will release more freedom into your lives. It's not the word that sets you free. It's the truth that you know. It's in the word that sets you free. You can quote, I know, I've done this even in my past, that I can quote a scripture and that scripture will not set me free. Are you hearing me? It's the truth, you knowing that truth that sets you free. It, it, you, if you just know what the Bible says, that's not necessarily going to set you free. You have to embrace the truth and, and continue in that truth. Then that will make you free. So I just know that there's some things that um, we thought were true but are really not truth. And, um, and I know there's been some people I can tell. I can read people just a little bit because I'm a pastor you can read people, and sometimes, you know, and, and then sometimes you just have a conversation with somebody, and there's no reading at all. You, you just know where they're coming from, and, uh, but uh, I know that when I make statements like sin does not separate you from God, I know people have a hard time with that. Some of you have a hard time with that because that's not how you were taught. That's not how I was taught. Because I was always taught that sin will separate you from God. God cannot look upon sin. God can't. He, he just, no, no, no. And, um, but it's not true. And I went over that. I'm not going to go. I, I spoke on that message. Sin will kill you. Sin will harm you. Sin is bad. Because there's some people in this building that think that I think it's okay, that sin is okay. No, I don't believe that. If you think that about me, well, then you don't know me, and that's okay. I'm still getting to know me. But this is the thing. If we have a sin mentality, it's going to harm your identity of who you are in Christ. 
And I was raised, you know, even taking communion, it was all about sin. Confess your sin. Make sure you look at your sin. When all along, finally, the Lord just spoke to me. He said, communion is not about your sin. It's remembering what I've done for your sin. Amen? But we make the gospel. This is the way we make the gospel. We make the gospel right from get and go when Adam and Eve sin. And it's all about getting forgiveness because of what Adam and Eve did. And we're born into that. So it's all about sin. And the Lord is just wanting me and you and the world to know that it's not about sin. (laughs) Do we sin? Yeah. Is there anybody in here who doesn't sin? I can't raise my hand. I mean, I sin. But this is the thing. Would you rather be a pardoned criminal or a beloved son and daughter? Listen to me now. This is such a free. Would you rather be a pardoned criminal or a beloved son and daughter? Because most of the church world preaches that we are a pardoned criminal. That is missing our identity 100%. Let me ask you another question. Which one would empower you more to be and walk like Jesus? He says, as I am, so are you in this world. Which one would empower you more to be and have the identity as a pardoned criminal or a beloved son and daughter of the Lord God Almighty? Which one empower you more? Ah. So what does the devil do? He tries to preach and make us realize that our identity is just really a pardon criminal. We're just forgiven. Well, all along, that is not what you are, just forgiven. Because you know why? If you're just forgiven, it's all about us getting saved, getting born again, and going to heaven and waiting on God for that to happen. Sound like a victorious life to you? Doesn't to me. God wants you to have a victorious life. And the only way for you and me to have that is not to know and have a revelation that you're a pardoned criminal, but that idea is for you and me to know that we're a beloved son and daughter of God Almighty. Hallelujah. It hurts your identity. Well, 1 John 3, 6 says this, Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has never seen him nor known him. I don't know, but you read that from the first time, you know. I have a problem with that scripture. Do you have a problem with that scripture? I mean, it says, whoever abides in God does not sin. And I'm thinking, I sin. And then it says, whoever sins has neither, neither seen him nor even known him. And I go... Oh, my goodness. I must not know God at all. Is that what he's saying here? Is that what he's meaning here? You have to know the right vantage point to understand when something like this comes up in the Bible, you have to have the right vantage point. If you don't, you'll just say, well... I sin, so I guess I, I don't abide in him, and I guess I really don't know God, and oh, well, I'll just get through life the best that I can. 
There's a lot of churches and a lot of people in churches today are people who don't even go to church because they look at that and go, well, I said, well, I can't do that, so what's the use? Hebrews chapter 7, verse 28 says this, the law appointed high priests who were limited by human weakness. You know, in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, the high priests once a year would go into the tabernacle and behind the Holy of Holies. I'll try to make this quick. He would go into the Holy of Holies and he would get the blood and sprinkle it upon the altar and that would cover the sins of the whole nation for a full year. All right? So that's what he's talking about. And how many know that the high priest was just as guilty as the ones that he was uh, asking forgiveness for? (laughs) But he had to go through this washing process to make sure he was cleansed and he was capable of representing the people. Even though he was a human weakness and sinner himself. So do you get the picture? Then it says, but after the law was given... God appointed his son with an oath, and his son has been made perfect, has been made the perfect high priest forever. So in the old covenant, the priests would represent the people of getting, making sure their sins are covered. God says, now I've made Jesus the perfect one to represent you, to represent you, to not just have your sins covered, but to have your sins taken away as if they've never existed. That's why 2 Corinthians 5.19 says this, that God is no longer keeping a record of your sin. There is no record of your sin or my sin or anybody's sin in heaven. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19. You can look it up. I didn't give it to the PowerPoint people, but it's just the scripture. It's in... It's, It's on my brain. Why? Because that is such good news to me, that God's not keeping my sins. And the reason is because of Jesus. Are you hearing me? That's good news. God does not want you and I to be sin conscious. We have to rethink God. This is why Jesus told the disciples, you know, he he sits there and he gets everybody together and says, you're in me. He looks at all of everybody to his disciples and says, you're in me. Your imperfections are hidden in my perfection. And then he goes on to say, and I am in you. You know what that means? He is saying that we carry his DNA in us. Wow. Wow. I am in God, so therefore all of my sin, all of my weaknesses, all of my imperfections are covered up. They're not visible to him, to my father. But also, I am also, Christ is in me, which means I have his DNA, which is sinless, which is holy, which is righteous, which is perfect before God. That's the DNA you and me have. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, behold, when you get born again, old things pass away. Behold, everything becomes new. What is, what is the becoming new? We get new DNA. And whose DNA do you get? Woo! God's DNA. You got God's DNA on the inside of you. People go, oh, I don't think so. But if you don't believe that, then it won't be, you won't be walking in the victory of that then. You just get by with a... Your old self. 
One translation in 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, you become a new species that never existed before. Wow. That's powerful. Rethink God. Friday night we went to uh, Levi, my grandson's musical. Preschool. Have you ever been to a preschool musical? All I can say is, holy cow. It's confined chaos on a stage. You get four and five-year-olds up there, a bunch of four and five-year-olds. It is so much fun watching. I mean, I'm telling you, you don't know. You have no idea what's going to happen. You have no idea. So the place is packed. And all of, the, all of the parents, grandparents, and relatives, they're there with their iPhones and everybody, you know. And so we're watching Levi and everything. And he's, you know, of course, he was the best. But, I mean, and uh, he's singing. And, and, of course, with musicals, they do, they do actions. And none of them are in unison. I mean, some of them are doing the, the feet thing and the other ones are doing the hands thing and they're going, oh, I was supposed to be doing the feet thing and I'm supposed to do, you know, it's not like on Broadway where the women are just, all the legs are going the exact same way. I mean, everything is just perfect. Everything's in unity. No, when it's four and five-year-olds, it's like, what in the world? This one's singing verse two and this one's singing a chorus and this one's not even singing. And you, and you got some, and some, there was this one girl, I mean, she was like belting it out. She was like going for the Oscar, you know what I mean? And uh, so the, it was just major chaos, and everybody is just having a great time now. And I looked down at, at, at my, all of my families in the row, you know, grandparents, and Nathan's on the end, and everything. they all got their, their iPhones and their video on this. And this is the expression on every single, everybody's face. They're just loving it. They're just like, this is so great. This is, this is awesome. And, and everybody's singing off key. And if you just grade it, I mean, it's just like horrible. You don't know the words. They're, what song are they singing? I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know what they're singing. What dance moves they're doing? It's really not a dance move. really wouldn't call that a dance. I'm not a good dancer, but I don't think that's dancing. And then Melody has the audacity to say, I think Levi has rhythm. <laughs> and I go, is that what you call that? Okay. But everybody's looking at their child or their grandbaby and thinking, they're the best. They are so awesome. And when it was over, no parent, no grandparent sit there and goes, well, you know, you really messed up. You weren't, you, you weren't doing the, the right motions, that right act. You, you weren't really doing that. And why didn't you sing? What did, no grandparent would do that. No, you know what? Every grandparent, you were the most awesome. Oh, my goodness. You were so good. <laughs> wow. That's all I can say. Wow. You were so good. And you... You're the best looking one up there. I, I know you're the best looking one up there too. And I, I just feel sorry for everybody else. But you did so great. And you sang so, you were on key. You were doing the right rhythm. You were, that's what every parent, grandparent does. And this is what the Holy Ghost said to me. And all of that, I was just minding my own business. My father says, that's the way I see you, Mike. 
the way I see you. And all of your imperfections, and all of your sin, and all of your mess-ups, that's the way I see you. I need to go to more musicals. That's the way your father sees you today. He gets Michael and the angels around and everybody goes, that's, that's my son. That, that's my daughter. Can, watch, just watch. And all of your imperfections and offbeats and mess ups, you're putting a smile on your father's face. Just like I was with my grandson. Are you hearing me? Do you really get this? This is what God wants you to get when it comes to rethink God. Do you realize most people sitting in church or sitting at home because they're ticked off at God or don't want anything to do with them have no clue that this is what their father thinks of them? Do you realize that? Some of you even don't think like that. You don't think that your father is getting a smile put on his face just moment by moment. Listen to me. When I was watching Levi, I loved him, but he wasn't doing everything right. I know parents and grandparents are blind. Oh, you did everything perfect. No, no. Did I tell him that? Absolutely, I did. I told him, you were the best singer up there, buddy. You're the best looking one. Well, he could have been the best looking one. But, you know, he because he's a good looking kid. Kind of like, anyway, but, uh, <laughs> anyway, but, but, and I told him, I said, your dance moves were so good. They were just so good. They were just so good. That's what I told him. And I could tell he just, but, I may go for Broadway. <laughs> I just, I just may go for it. I just may go for it. Paul had this revelation. He said, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. Why did Paul say that? He was in prison. He was shipwrecked. He was in prison for two years. He'd been shipwrecked. He'd been snake bit. He'd been all hell broke through his life. I mean, you just look at his life and you think, thank God I'm not Paul and I'm Mike. But I mean, you just look at all this and he said, I can do all things. I'm always victorious. I am more than a conqueror through him. He did all that. Why? Because he understood that God was watching on the stage of life and said, that's my son. He's so awesome. I love him. He's the greatest. And that will empower you much more than thinking that I'm just a sinner saved by God. You know, I'm just a pardon criminal. I'm just, oh, I'm just trying to do all that. I can never do anything right. You tell me which one will empower you. Which one will say, I can do all things through Christ? Come on now. This is why I preach the way that I do. This is the message that I'm supposed to preach. I know people have a hard time with it. I, I, this is what I think. If I would have heard this message today 10 years ago on TV, I would have turned it off. Me, today. If I would have heard this message 10 years ago, I would have turned the TV off and go, the most ridiculous thing I ever heard. That guy doesn't have a clue. And the Lord goes, ding, 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 ding. That's you 10 years from now. 
Rethink God. 1 John 4.15. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Now, this brings clarification now, doesn't it? If you confess that Jesus is the Son of God, he goes and says, now God abides in you and he in God. So the disciples were born under law and had a performance mentality. And if you read John 15, 4, the NIV version, or is it the NIV? I forgot. John 15, 4, NLT. Remain in me and I will remain in you. If you read that from the wrong vantage point, that looks like it's conditional. Does it not? It looks conditional. If you don't, in other words, if you don't remain in me, if you don't perform right, then I'm not going to remain in you. But that's not what it's saying. But if you look and read the Bible, if your relationship with God and your relationship in reading the Bible is from a wrong or a bad vantage point, you know, if, if you're watching sports, I love sports, you know, if you're watching football and it looks like the guy, he's catching the ball, he was out of bounds. That was so, of course, if it's the opposite team, if it's your team, he was in bounds. I believe his foot was in, you know what I mean? But anyway, but then you get a different, they got 1,400 cameras, you know, in the NFL now. I mean, then it zooms in to the micro inch and you could tell, oh, there's one blade of grass between him and the white line. He's in bounds. But if you have the wrong vantage point, everybody's saying he was out of bounds. The referee even called him out of bounds. And so the coach throws out the red flag, and he says, I want that to be reviewed. And they reviewed it, and it goes down to the right to the right vantage point, and it says he was in bounds. That's the way you and me are. It's the way the church is. It's the way the world is. We're over there in the grandstands of life, and we look at, at, at something through the, the Bible and we go, you better, you better act right. You better perform because if you don't, God's not going to remain in you. Mm, you need a different vantage point. You need to come over here to the another one and you look at it and goes, there's a blade of grass in between him and the out of bounds. He's, he's good. That verse sounds like it's condition, based upon condition. Sounds like Jesus is saying, if, you, if you're not performing right, then I'm not going to remain in you. No, it's not a condition to make us sweat. It's a promise to make you and me, you and me rest. Did you hear me? There's a lot of Christians that are sweating today around the world and God wants you to rest. So when you read the Bible, if you're not careful, you'll read from the wrong vantage point. If it's something that you feel like you have to do to measure up, you'll always fall short. The only logical response is to abide in God is to trust in Jesus and not to trust in your performance. You got to trust in him. The word abide means to rest and surrender. Rest and surrender, not struggle and try harder. What does the Christian do? Struggle and try harder. John 8, 34 says this. Jesus answered them, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. 
And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. He says, if you commit sin, you're a slave to sin, and you're not going to abide in the house forever. But if you're a son, no matter what, you abide forever. So are you just a sinner, or do you know today that you are a son or a daughter of God? It's a big deal because if you don't know that, then you're going to be a slave to sin. But if you do know that, you will never be a slave to sin. Sin is always going to be beneath your feet. It will not rule and reign over you. It will not dictate to you. It will not say you that you're not uh, measured and what the world says you will never measure up. But if you're a son and daughter, you always measure up. It's just like the stage of the musical. You go... You know, if somebody says, okay, did he really do all the dance? No. Did he sing right? No. Did he do anything right? Not really. He showed up. He showed up. But that's my son. That's my grandson. And so guess what? Because of that, because of that, they measure up. Because of that, they're not a slave. Because of that... I'm going to look at them totally different. Are you getting this? This is such a free. It'll make you get the right vantage point. There's been times in my life, the majority of my life, I've had the wrong vantage point with my relationship with God. The right vantage point is to look at Jesus. Because he said he's the only one who really knows God. So I think it would be highly, highly important for you and me to look and to hear what Jesus says. Amen? In John 14, 9, Jesus said, Philip goes, show us the Father. And Jesus gets a little aggravated. He said to him, have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? In other words, he's saying, you do not need to know anything about the Father. What? That's what he's saying. He says, because the Father and me are one. If you know me, then you know the Father. If you Listen to me now. If you want to know how the Father treats and understands sinners, you look at me. If you want to know how the Father looks at anything, you look at me. Are you getting this? Because even people in the Old Testament got God wrong. Jesus is the only one. People in the New Testament got God wrong. But Jesus says, I don't have uh, anything wrong about God. I don't. Job, I mean, you go to the funeral, you hear Job. All of a sudden, Job is the most popular thing at funerals. Job chapter 1. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. And then we get all spiritual. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Is it true that Job said that? Yes, and it's recorded that he said that. But is it true what he said? No, it is not. And even Job's own testimony, his own testimony in Job chapter 42, he said, I spoke of things I did not know. I found another translation. He said, I take everything back what I said. Why isn't that quoted at funerals? It's funny, but it should be true. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. I take back everything I said. No, nobody quotes that. 
Keep reading Job. He, his own testimony is, I spoke of things I knew not of. And that one translation said, I take everything back. I was stupid. And so people are just being stupid at funerals today. Moving right along. Why? Because you got a wrong vantage point. You got a wrong vantage point. If you want to know how Jesus is or how the Father is, you look at Jesus. You look at him. In 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 1, 1 through 3, it says this. Again, the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel, and he moved David against them to say, go number Israel and Judah. So, verse 2, it says, so the king said to Job, Joab, the commander of the army who was with him, now go throughout all the tribes of Israel from Dan to Beersheba and count the people that I may know the number of the people. And Joab said to the king, now may the Lord your God add to the people a hundred times more than there are. And may the eyes of the Lord, the king, see it. But why does my Lord, the king, desire this thing? So Joab even questioned him. I want to just say one thing about questions. When it comes to religion or anything about God, you don't be afraid to ask questions. And most people who are, you're asking questions to, I've been, in my past, I've been very defensive. People question, yeah, well, why is that? Well, what is what? It's just, it's just the way it is. No, you, you, you need to get the right answers. Do I have all the answers? No. But at the same time, you need to ask questions when things don't line up. If it doesn't line up, like, is this really what Jesus would do? Is this how Jesus is? Then you need to ask questions. All right? So he wasn't supposed to do that. His commander officer said, you know, this is not a good thing, David. But David said he heard from God. David said he heard from God. The Lord told him. So Samuel recorded that David heard from God. David said it. Samuel recorded that David heard from God. Is everybody on the same page? Joab questioned him. Now... A few, it depends on which theologian, 100, 200 years later, Ezra writes in 1 Chronicles chapter 21. Same story. Same story. Now Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. Verse 2. So David said to Joab and to the leaders of the people, go and number Israel from Bersheba to Dan. I mean, it's the same story. And then Joab said, may the Lord live. Same exact story, except for one biggie. One biggie that Ezra recorded is that Ezra looked back in history, in the history of uh, the Septuagint, and read where David said that he heard from God. Ezra records in First Chronicles that that was not God, David. Oh, and see, if you just read that, well, the Bible contradicts itself all the time. Look at that. No, it's just like Job. David, he, he had the heart of God, but he didn't know God the way that Jesus knew God. Are you hearing me? As far as David, he just, I just sense this is God. 
And I believe I'm supposed to count the people. Ezra goes back and said, it was Satan, David. That was not God. It was Satan. Well, which one was right? If you have the wrong vantage point, you may even say, well, it was God and God. Because, you know, after that, I think it was 7,000 people were killed. Does that sound like God? No. You remember when the disciples, they, they found some other disciples that weren't following Jesus? And they weren't following Jesus, but they were followers of God. And so the sons of thunder said, Jesus, let's call fire down from heaven on them, just like Elijah. Remember the story of Elijah? He called fire down. Elijah called fire down on people. And so the disciples go, let's do the same thing. Make them crispy critters. What did Jesus say to the disciples? You don't know what kind of spirit you are. No, it's wrong. It's wrong. I'm here to tell you that Elijah didn't know God the way that Jesus knew God. The wrong vantage point. Are you thinking? Are you questioning? I'm just saying, we all need to get the right vantage point when it comes to our relationship with our Father and what He really thinks about you and me. I'll give you one more example. How about, you know, when Abraham, God says, Abraham, first of all, he gets to be about 100 years old and he finally gets a child. 100 years old and you finally get your child. I mean, believe in God, God says you're going to have it, and then at 100 you finally get it. 100 years old. His only begotten son. His only begotten son. And God says, Abraham? Yes, Lord. I want you to sacrifice your son. Abraham didn't question. Just said, son, pack your bags. Now, I'd just like to get a little perspective here. I've got kids. I've got grandkids. You may not have kids, but I think you can get the right perspective. Would you, if you heard a voice that said, I want you to go and kill your child, would you just go, Jared, pack your bags. Joel, you come too. <laughs> Head them up, move them out. No, if I hear a voice that said that, I go, I don't think so. Are you kidding me? I don't care. Yeah, this is God. I don't care who you are. I ain't sacrificing my kids. But Abraham didn't. His only begotten one at 100 years old. I mean, that even makes it a little bit more special. I don't know, but I'm thinking it makes it a little bit more special if you're 100 and, you know, you have your first kid. I mean, it should have been your great-great-grandchild or something, but it was his kid. And he does not say one thing. He just says... Let's head up. Let's go. Where are you going? To the mountain. What are you going to do? Sacrifice. No more questions. Let's go. That's one time when the kid said, are we there yet? That probably never happened. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that was funny. But anyway, (laughs) you could always threaten your kid that if you better, or you want to go to the mountain? No, but anyway, I'm kidding. (laughs) But anyway, he never questions. In this, 
I figured I got why. I know the why. You want to know the why? The culture of the time of Abraham was this, that everybody who served different gods, and there was hundreds of different gods even back then, this was what people did back and then, that all of their so-called gods required to sacrifice their firstborn or one of their children. It was common practice. And guess what everybody did? They sacrificed their child. No questions asked because that's what God required. So Abraham does not even ask a question. Why? Because it's the time. It's the culture. It's just what the gods want. So he hears God say that, and he doesn't even question it. But now let's finish the story. He brings up three days' journey. He goes up to the mountain, and he's ready. He's got the knife in hand. He's ready to sacrifice his son to God, and God stops him. God stops him. And this is what God, this is what Abraham needs to know about God. That is not what I'm like. I'm not that kind of God. He got his attention, just like all the other gods got the attention of, of their followers. He got Abraham's attention. But then he stops him and says, I just want you to know, Abraham, these other gods are like that, but not me. I'm not like that. Are you getting it? He got a different vantage point. And so he, th- he just was amazed. You, you mean you don't require that like all the other gods? No, I don't. I'm a loving father. I would never want you to kill your children. I'm just telling you, it's vitally important that you get the right vantage point when it comes to God. That's why it's out there on the board, and that's why I'm hammering this week after week, and that's why some people even think, can you go on to something new? Because if you don't get this right, your relationship with God's not going to be right. Your relationship with your spouse is not going to be right. Your relationship with your children is not going to be right. Your relationship with me is not going to be right. Your relationship with people will not be right. Your relationship even to your enemies will not be right. Jesus said, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you, love your enemies. What? I mean, he did this to me. I'm going to do it to him. Yeah, that's what Jesus is. That's what you've heard. That's not what the father's like. <laughs> Is this just my, this blows your religious mind wide open. I'm hoping to blow it out, knock it out. Are you hearing me? Jesus said to love your enemies. But everybody says, hey, if you do that to me, I'm going to do it back to you. Jesus says, pray for those who despitefully use you, harm you. Nobody ever heard that before. I said, nobody ever heard that before. But then Jesus says to his disciples, if you've seen me, this is what God's like. If you've seen me, this is what. So listen to what I say to you. Listen to what I say to you. Because there's been wrong things said about your father, God. First of all, he's father. Nobody in the Old Testament ever called God Father. 
Nobody knew it. That's why the, the religious people said, you call God your father as if you're equal. You're, you're in cohort. You're just with him. That, no, that can't be. I'm telling you, we have the wrong vantage point in a lot of areas of our life. But I know one thing. God is helping us get the right vantage point of him, of who he truly is. Listen, if we get a hold of this, we'll change Pueblo for the the glory of God. People say, how's God going to change Pueblo? We just need to knock on doors. If that's, well, that's fine. We can do that. Or we can get the, the gospel out. The true gospel out is how good God is. Listen to me. None of us deserve this. None of us deserve to be up on stage and to do all of our mess ups and, and be off key in life and, and to be out of step in life and, and saying the wrong things in life. And we're just, a, we're just like that preschool class. <laughs> we are. You know, you, and we look at people, you know, as if they're not, you know, if I, I looked at other grandkids and, and I go, well, they're just not right. They're not as good as mine. But it's the wrong vantage point. But when I look at mine, you see him? You see him up there? It's my my grandson. And your heavenly father wants to know, you to know, that's what he thinks of you today. Did you see my daughter today? Did you see my son today? It's my child. You know, everybody else goes, yeah, I saw him. Yeah. Whoa, did I see them? It's just like the other grandparents look at my grandkid and he makes it. You better watch what you say about my grandchild. I'm a pastor today, but this hat can come off. Are you hearing me? That's what the, your father wants you to know. Your father wants you to know this today and to share this with your friends, with your enemies, with your family, your distant family, people that you work with, people who think that God hate them. He doesn't hate anybody. No matter how different they are, he does not. Let's stand.